Evening. It's good to see you all out this evening. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We'll get started there here shortly. I thank Bob for the banners, and I thought uh, they put them up here specifically for me to distract everybody away from the fact that I was up here this evening. If you're tuning in, I'm not the normal preacher, uh, so don't hold it against the congregation here. If you don't particularly enjoy everything that I have to say this evening, but I will try my best. So we've been continuing in with, uh, with a series of following the Lamb wherever He goes. And, uh, and this evening we'll be uh, continuing in in that, that topic with following the Lamb to the cross. I'm going to start with a, with a couple of you know, semi-lengthy readings just to kind of focus in on, uh, on what we're going to be talking about tonight. And then hopefully we can provide a few, uh, few things to think about this evening that uh, would focus our thoughts and our energies in the future on ways that we might improve ourselves as Christians uh, going forward. So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 27, <clears throat> and beginning in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor. The governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear now many things they testify against you? And he did not answer them with regard to even a single charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had delivered him up. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus scourged, he had delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him 
and took the reed and beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, who they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place called Gagatha, which means the place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. When they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lights. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And they put above his head the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of the Jews. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately... One of them ran, taking a sponge, and filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. Also, it's I printed out another something as well. Uh, and sometimes there. There are instances within the Bible here where we don't always get a lot of detail. And I know detail can be disturbing at times, but I'd like to kind of paint a picture uh, for exactly what he did. So I'm printing out something that kind of bears uh, the significance of crucifixion. says, crucifixion was invented and used by other people groups, but it was perfected by the Romans over approximately 500 years. And it was the ultimate execution by torture, reserved for the worst of criminals. The earliest historical record of crucifixion dates to 519 BC when King Darius of Persia crucified 3,000 of his political enemies in Babylon. Before the Persians, the Assyrians were known to impale people. The Greeks and the Carthaginians later used crucifixion as well. After the breakup of Alexander the Great's empire, the Seleucid Antiochus IV crucified Jews who refused to accept Hellenization. Crucifixion was meant to inflict the maximum amount of shame and torture on the victim. Roman crucifixions were carried out in public so that all who saw would see the horror 
and would be deterred from crossing the Roman governor. Crucifixion was so horrible that it was reserved only for the worst offenders. The victim of crucifixion was severely scourged or beaten <clears throat> in an ordeal that was life-threatening by itself. And he was forced to carry the large wooden crossbeam to the side of the crucifixion. Bearing this load was not only extremely painful after the beating, but it added a measure of shame as the victim was carrying the instrument of his own death. It was like digging your own grave. When the victim arrived at the place of crucifixion, he would be stripped down to further shame him. Then he would be forced to stretch out his arms on the crossbeam where they were nailed in place. Nails were ham hammered through the wrists, not necessarily the palms, um, which kept the nails from pulling through the victim's hands. In ancient times, the wrist was also considered part of the hand. Placement of the nails in the wrist also caused excruciating pain as the nails pressed on large nerves within the body. Crossbeam would then be hoisted up and fastened to an upright piece that would normally remain standing between crucifixions. <clears throat> After fastening the crossbeam, the executioners would nail the victim's feet to the cross as well, normally one foot on top of the other, nailed right through the middle of the arch of each foot with the knees slightly bent. Primary purpose of the nails was to inflict pain. Once the victim was fastened to the cross, all of his weight was supported by three nails, which would cause pain to shoot throughout the body. Victim's arms were stretched out in such a way to cause cramping and paralysis within the chest, making it impossible to breathe unless some of the weight was borne by the feet. In order to take a breath, the victim would have to push up with his feet. In addition to enduring excruciating pain caused by the nails in his feet, the victim's raw back would rub against the beam after the beating that they already received that caused even more pain. After taking a breath in order to relieve some of the pain in his feet, the victim would also begin to slump down again. Action would put more weight on his wrists and again rubbed his back raw. However, the victim could not breathe in the lower position, so before long, torturous process would begin again in order to breathe and relieve some of the pain caused by the wrist nails. The victim would have to put more weight on the nails in his feet and push up. Then in order to relieve some of the pain caused by the foot nail, he would have to put more weight on the nails in his wrists and slump down. In either position, the torture was intense. Crucifixion was designed to be a slow, torturous death some victims would last as long as day, four days. Death was ultimately by asphyxiation as the victim would lose the strength to continue to push up uh, on his feet to take a breath. So in order to hasten the victim's death, they would break the legs as we see in Christ's crucifixion where they broke the legs of the, uh, the people next to him where they wouldn't be allowed to breathe anymore. So the crucifixion was finally outlawed by the Roman Constantine in the fourth century. 
know it's, it's rough to think about. Um, and go back, and I know when we think about this topic of following the Lamb uh, to the cross, and there's obviously things that we can take, take from that um, and draw from what I kind of wanted to focus on tonight. If we go back uh, to last month in Gary's lesson, um, when he was in the garden and he asked, please let this pass from me, but still said, not my will, but, by, but thy will be done. Um, this is something that he didn't want to do. Um, and people who live during these times, they obviously would understand how humiliating and torturous and painful this situation would be done. But he still said, thy will be done. So what I wanted to focus on there was the the self-denial. Um, counterintuitive to the world that we live in today. Uh, it's all about uh, what are you doing for yourself, and it's all about me and what makes me happy. Um, and Christ, perfect example, uh, even though he didn't want to, and he could have called angels to come and save him, um, <clears throat> he still... He still endured that. I wanted to go and look at a, a few other examples within the Word of um, other characters that, in varying aspects of self-denial, served God. Uh, so one, we'll, we'll start back in Genesis chapter 22. I'm talking about Abraham. And something we've talked about recently and we're all familiar with. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22, beginning verse 9, when talking about Isaac. And when they had come to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out, to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Uh, this is just one example you could find where, you know, when, uh, when God told him that you're going to be sacrificing your son Isaac, you know, that he had, we, we all know the story, that he had when he was in great age, this is the son of promise, and he never questioned, yeah, God, but I don't, I don't know, uh, he, never, he never questioned it, and we you see evidence that he also believed that God could raise Isaac a after after the fact, uh, if he was uh, willing to do that. So this is just one, uh, one example. We've, we've also talked uh, recently uh, about Moses. Um, so in, uh, in Exodus chapter 4, when God told Moses um, to, to go back and to, uh, to save the, the children of Israel, 
Moses was a little reluctant uh, a few times, and uh, in Exodus chapter 4, beginning verse 10, he, he said, you know, I'm not eloquent. I, I don't speak well, and, uh, and, and God still provided concession to him a little bit and said, hey, we'll, we'll send your brother with you, and, uh, and he can help you uh, in, in the words that uh, also says that I will be with you. Um, and Moses did uh, uh, obviously eventually go along with that, although somewhat reluctantly. Um, uh, we, we've also seen recently where we've talked about uh, Jonah in uh, Bible class that uh, uh, Jonah's always been an interesting story to me that um, every step of the way when God was telling him, hey, you need to uh, go to the people of Nineveh and preach, and he was just going to go the opposite direction, I don't want to do that. Uh, he obviously had a few flaws. Um, what I always found to be a little bit interesting, even though he was very reluctant and fought God most of the steps of the way, uh, when he went in there and uh, finally spoke to them and they repented, I'm like, I always kind of thought, well, Jonah must have been a pretty effective speaker, you know, if, uh, if so many people actually uh, repented of their ways and, uh, and turned back to God. But uh, he, he obviously had some flaws, but uh, he, still, he still finally did what, uh, what God asked him to do, uh, albeit uh, pretty reluctantly. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to turn back to the New Testament. Let's turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Beginning in verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's one of the main points I was trying to draw from this, you know, to deny ourselves. And I think that's got to be one of the hardest th concepts for most people to acknowledge these days uh, when we're constantly bombarded by, you know, do what makes you happy and uh, what are you doing for yourself? And I've, um, but, you know, we have we have the ultimate example and what we've read with, with Christ and him being perfect and still, still went to the cross bearing that shame um, and taking, taking the punishment that we deserve. Now let's turn over to uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, beginning. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You know, we've talked about that before. It's, uh, of these passages are unfamiliar to any of us. Um, you know, we, we see examples. If we watch the news, you know, of father running into a burning building to save his family or, you know, or, or somebody that they care about. Um, and yet, uh, um, you know, that's, that's easy. Um, I guess I tell, I tell stories. Um, uh, one that still sticks with me today. Uh, most of y'all know I was in the Navy for a while, and, uh, you know, this one still gets me today, but um, I had a, a mentor when we were in California, and um, not on the same level. He was a commander. I was just a lowly enlisted guy. We met him at church when we were worshiping out there, and um, this was... Uh, He'd been in the Navy for a real long time. He was a, he was a reservist, so kind of a part-time thing while his unit was getting activated. He was about six months away from retiring. And because he was in a leadership position, it wasn't like he just one of the guys. Um, the deployment, they were gonna go to Iraq and they were supposed to be there for over a year. And so his boss had told him, hey, since your retirement's coming up, you go ahead and start start your retirement paperwork, and we'll, we'll send this other guy instead of you. Um, but he said no. And he sat down with the other gentleman that was, would have gone in his place, and he said, what kind of guy would I be if I did this paperwork and I put you in harm's way? And uh, so he, he wouldn't do it. Um, and he, uh, so he decided to go, um, and it was after we moved here, and uh, <clears throat> found out he was killed in a roadside bomb in Fallujah after he would have been retired. Married man, wife, kids, and, um, and when I found out about it at first, you know, even before he was killed, I was, I was just thinking, I was just blown away by his attitude when he said, well, no, I'm, I'm going to go. Um, and it just blew me away because I'm like, you know, sometimes I like to think of myself as being a pretty good guy. And I'm like, that thought never would have crossed my mind. You know, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I'll be away from my family. If I route my retirement paperwork, I'm going to be home, you know, and uh, that thought never would have crossed my mind. And I was just really impressed by him. Um, but I bring this up, you know, he did that, you know, which is an impressive story in its own right, but it's nothing compared to what Christ did. You know, he did that, you know, putting himself in a sacrificial situation to protect somebody that he respected and he cared about. But we see here that Christ 
demonstrated his love by take, going to the cross for people that hated him. You know, if you think of people who openly will denounce the name of God and say that it's evil and we're crazy and um, it's not even on the same level of comparison. Um, let's turn over to, uh, to Luke chapter 6. beginning in verse 32. And if you love those that love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners be those that love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies do good and land, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I don't bring up some of this to say that sacrifice is easy for people that we care about. Do you imagine would you see yourself being, being willing to sacrifice yourself for somebody that openly hates you, who argues with you, disrespects you? Well, Christ did. You know, do we feel compassion to the people who don't like us? It's, it's easy to care about the people in this room or family members or, or whatever. That, that's easy. That's very easy. But we see that, that Christ did. Do we, do we ever find ourselves getting angry or upset if somebody attacks you seemingly unjustly? Um, we're like, well, yeah, you know. I mean, sometimes if somebody, if I'm engaged with somebody or whatever, um, and I'm being attacked, and I'm like, man, I'm being attacked, and I didn't do anything wrong. Does it make you angry or upset, or do you feel compassion towards that person? Some things to consider. You know, Christ, Christ obviously did. Uh, we have other examples as well. Um, you know, Stephen, my, my parents really drove that home when I was growing up, you know, that they, they named me after... Stephen in the Bible in, uh, in Acts chapter 7, you know, when he, when he was speaking to them and, um, and, and trying to teach, teach them their, their ways, and they, they began stoning him. And, you know, as he was being stoned, you know, he's praying to God and saying, please don't hold this to their charge. And I'm like, I mean, is that not amazing? I mean, if somebody walked up to you while you're walking down the street and just punched you in the face, would you feel compassion or would you be angry? Um, and, but Christ tells us that we are supposed to show compassion, to, to love our enemies, 
to pray for those that persecute us. Um, and so where I'm going with, with most of this lesson is just for us to take, us, take a step back and realize who we are. You know, Christ was perfect. He left the glory of heaven, came, was ridiculed, spat upon, tortured. And he did that showing love, showing service to his fellow man, even, even people who openly shamed and ridiculed him. <clears throat> I just have one more passage uh, that I'd like to turn to. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5. Something last for us to kind of consider and think about. Um, Isaiah chapter 5, beginning verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Um, it's like I said, we're in challenging times. Um, the do what makes you happy. I remember seeing stuff like that, you know, even when I was a teenager and hearing about, oh, this, this couple is going through a divorce and they're talking to a counselor and they say, hey, uh, well, what are you doing for yourself? And, you know, even as a kid, I'm like, it's flawed thinking. I'm like, if it, you know, and even for, for the children, when you always have, when you have the attitude, it's all about me and everybody should be uh, doing what I want to do and should be giving me things and you're all focused on yourself. It's not the kind of person that you really want to spend time with, is it? It's really not. Um, and this day and age, you know, Christian, Christianity is being attacked. Um, you know, I, I have extended members of my family who are not right with the Lord, and, well, they don't want to talk about Christian things, you know. Well, I still want to have a relationship with you. I want all the benefits of having a family, but don't you dare talk about what I'm doing wrong. You know, I, I want all the benefits and none of the guilt. Um, and that's, that's what we're being bombarded with these days. Um, and granted, there's, there's a way about uh, talking to people. Um, I have a little soapbox that I don't believe that most of the people in this country actually believe or actually know what love is. Love supposedly this day and age is acceptance, and it's not. That's that's a universal lie. Um, you know, I find my closest friends, the people I call my closest friends, are the ones who don't hesitate to tell me, <laughs> "Stephen, you're messing up." Um, it's never uncomfortable. It's never comfortable to to talk to somebody when you see them doing something wrong. But that's that's what love is. Um, when you see somebody that's doing something wrong and you actually care about them, you talk to them. 
Um, it's just some things that I'd like us to just kind of step back and kind of think about where we are. Uh, there are obviously things that we can do better. Hopefully, there's some things that uh, we've talked about tonight that make us kind of examine where we are um, and how, how we live as Christians. Um, and that's, uh, that's about it for this evening. I, uh, I appreciate your attention. Um, we have the, this opportunity. Uh, if, if you need prayers of the congregation, uh, if you've been struggling in some way, say, we're, we're a family. This, this is our church family. We're all brothers and sisters. We're here to help and uh, uplift and support one another when we're struggling with things. It's like Bob said this morning, you know, God didn't call perfect people, he called sinners. You know, we all struggle with different aspects and we're here to help out each other. Uh, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, you probably heard it before, uh, I'd say, take it from me. You know, some of you were here when I had my motorcycle wreck, it was 13 years ago. And I remember it, it was a weird feeling when I was in here on Sunday morning after my accident, sitting there taking the Lord's Supper and thinking, wow, last week that could have been the last time, you know, um, if I was anywhere else in the country, because luckily Alabama has helmet laws, and I was wearing a helmet, because if I hadn't been, there's no way I was here today. And, and we're, not, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, Whatever your need is at this time, if you need help or if you're ready to start your life in service to God, it's, it's a very satisfying existence. Living in service to one another, loving one another, including the people are, who aren't always nice to us. Uh, if you have any need, please come forward now as we stand and sing.